Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to challenge you to follow Christ, and to inspire you to lead a consecrated life. Are you looking for a Christian blog to encourage you in your faith? In this short interview, Kirk Walden shares about his new website, firstfaith.com, and the work he and his team are doing to live out first-century Christianity in the 21st century. First Faith aims to simplify and strengthen your faith so that you can take the next step in your journey with God. Here now is Interview 39, First Faith, with Kirk Walden. All right, so welcome back, Kirk. So glad you could join me today. Good to be here, Sean. A lot of stuff going on, so good to talk to you. Yeah, I'm really interested in this ministry and this website that you have called First Faith. Uh, What do you mean when you say celebrate life and chase faith? It seems to be kind of like your slogan there. What uh, What's this ministry all about? It's funny because it's kind of twofold, and and it's been growing in in the the last few months, and as we've been trying to put it together. In fact, we still are working on our actual mission statement, but twofold. One is, what if we could go back to the faith of those first followers of Jesus Christ, talk like they talked, think what they thought, act as they acted? What if we could just go back there? And there are a lot of people doing that, you know, say, oh, we want that first century faith and those sorts of things. But I think there's another level we can get to uh, where we are talking their language. And and one of the posts I did months and months ago was about Peter in, in the second chapter of Acts when he lays out six simple things that needed people needed to believe or do in order to become followers of Jesus Christ. It's pretty pretty simple, pretty basic. I'd love to see the church revolutionized where we simplified and went back to those first things and got rid of all the extra stuff, all the extra stuff that we've piled on over the centuries and go back to the simple, find that faith. And I think in the simple, we find the power. So that's kind of one one aspect. Can I interrupt yeah. you? Yeah, go ahead and interrupt. Sure. L- let's look at that first aspect. This is really the same mission that I have here at yes. the studio. The idea yes. of restoration, uh, going back to the original faith of the apostles, exactly. finding ways to practice that faith in the 21st century in the midst of technology and modern science and our different political and social institutions that are here, but still living out that faith authentically. So yeah, first faith, I didn't even really make that connection until you explained it, but that made, <laughs> that makes so much sense. First faith, there it is. Well, um, in, as we'd say in the South, you and I are barking up the same tree. And so yeah. uh, we've been we've been watching you guys and what you do with your fellowship and that sort of thing and, and saying, that's it. And it's funny that when our daughter came back from a conference where she was with you, she said, they're doing it. That's it. That's it. And so, uh, yes, we're on the same page, my friend. All right. So uh, what was the second point you were going to make? Taking someone from any place where they are in the faith spectrum and saying there's more. Because I believe whether someone has been walking with the Lord from thir- for 30 or 40 years, there is more. 
even or that person who says, I've never really explored anything like this before. I've heard who Jesus is, that I've got to do this, I've got to do that. I've seen the list of stuff, and we're saying, look, just take the next step. I go back to the Old Testament. I, I did a post on Rahab the harlot and, and thinking, you know what her step was? Her step was to look at a couple of spies from Israel and say, I'll trust that those guys are men of God, and I'm going to hide them, and I'm going to lie to my king's men. And that was her only step of faith. And guess what? She's in the line of David, which is the line of Jesus. God puts her in that line. And I'm thinking, this is, this is a woman who sells herself to the guys in the neighborhood. Now, she later got married or she wouldn't have been in the line of Jesus. Right. But that's where she was. She took one little step. And, and so you'll see on the blog that we're encouraging people to take the next step. And as we do, we're going to be bringing in some theological aspects because I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe He's teacher, He's master, He's savior, He's Lord, as in master. And that's who I believe He is. I don't believe you have to believe more than that to be following Him. Right. And there are many who I, I, I reach out to and, and work with in my pro-life work who would not agree with me on that. And that's fine. That's fine. I want, I want to help them take that next step of faith. And as we build relationships, I want to say, you know what? What if we simplify Jesus? And he was simply the Son of God. And he was one of us. How would that change us? How would that take our faith further if we could talk to Jesus as a brother and not as some someone who is so far above us in, in terms of his standing that we can't truly relate to him. Right. What if he was really a brother? What could we accomplish if we believe that? So that's that's where we're going in next steps of faith. That sounds exciting. What about this logo? Can you explain that a little bit? It's a cross with a line above it going to the right. Well, there's an F there. There's a one and an F and a cross oh in that logo. I can't believe I didn't see that. It makes perfect yeah. sense. but. <laughs> I guess because the cross is such a, a recognizable symbol, my eye couldn't zoom out a little bit to see that it was really an F. <laughs> so that's really great. Who, who came up with that? We worked with a firm to help uh, help create that. And I could not tell you who it was because oh, wow. one of my daughters uh, reached out to them and said, could you help us with this? And and there it came. We said, hey, let's do it. we wanted something pretty simple. All right. So, what what is it? What is it you do on the? Well, first of all, what's the the site? How do we get to the site? One stfaith.com. We wish we would have been able to get the words first faith, but some a church took it, and so we've got it. So it's one stfaith.com, and we're on Instagram at Real First Faith One uh, St, and then we are on Facebook at uh, Real First Faith again. It's One St, and then on Twitter as well, so people can find us. But the website is right now it's a blog and we're inviting other people in as we speak. We're beginning to invite new people in. And it's basically an encouraging site to talk about challenges in our faith. And we want to be, one of the big things we want to be is transparent because one thing that I have found as I speak across the country for life-affirming ministries is I tell some stories of my life, which some of them aren't, you know, they're about struggles and challenges. And even where I fell short, and I realize people come up to me afterwards and say, thanks for being transparent, for being real. I think in the Christian community, we often put on that mask because we don't 
want people to see our weakness. And this isn't about blubbering all of our sins all over a web page. That's not it at all. But challenges that we face, and as people can identify with those challenges, then they come on board, and, and we're inviting more people to write and to be encouraged and to connect with us. And we connect back by email, and uh, if necessary, we may go further to invite people to take that next step of faith. And in the future, I don't think in 2018 we'll have any major gatherings, but we're going to begin to have gatherings of people who are seeking the same things, mm-hmm. a first faith life, and to take that next step of faith, whatever it is. Uh, because different people have a diff- have different steps to take. So, how often do you have new content? Uh, see, I see that you have an article by Lexi, your daughter. Yes, yeah. And uh, are you doing it once a month, once a week, or what? What's uh, your it, no less, no less than once a week, and we're moving toward twice and then three times a week. Because right now, just just to be real with you, Sean, it's it's been kind of our family. But we are stretching out beyond that. In fact, I've got a guy, a friend of mine, Bernie, up in Springfield, Illinois, who's the chairman of their National Day of Prayer in the state of Illinois, who's in, uh, who's I connected with at an event. And Bernie has already written something that we're working on. And uh, we've got some other people in the hopper. And like I said, I'm going to be in touch with you. And we're going to bring in other people because we want a lot of voices on this site. And so, uh, and people who I may disagree with on some theological things, but they've got a voice and they too want to take the next step of faith. And so uh, I'm looking for those people. That's what I want. And, and uh, if we can find those people and draw them in and encourage others out there, we think we have something. Yeah. It, it certainly is important to engage with our faith and not to sit on it and become passive participants, which I think is the default for many of us. We just go to church sure. or we go to a home church or uh, even online. Uh, I did an interview with a gentleman recently where he has an online virtual fellowship each week, actually three times a week. And uh, it's, it's easy to just sit, rest on our laurels and be like, yeah, you know, I had these experiences so many years ago and now I'm just on cruise control. But then what happens is, in my experience as a pastor, you, you see people become critics rather than contributors. And Oh, that is so right. That's, that's mm. no good either. No. Uh, and, and I'll just, just be real with you. I found myself getting very comfortable. Uh, I was good. You know, I was doing a little teaching and that sort of thing, but I wasn't reaching out uh, as I should have. And I said, this is something I've got to do. This is something we've got to do to reach out. And and as I said, we want to begin to have gatherings. I don't see at this point, I don't see a first faith church necessarily because I, I could see a lot of people from different fellowships coming in and being renewed to reach out to help others take that next step of faith and then go back into their churches with these ideas and and build that culture of a first century faith and of reaching out into the community. But it is easy to, you're right, we get in our our circles and we get very comfortable. We're pretty proud of ourselves. And I'm not saying that's the, you know, I think we're people of humility, so I'm not beating us up or anything. But I found myself getting really comfortable because after all, I go out and guess what I get to do, Sean? I get to speak to Christian groups. Right. Okay. So I'm speaking to our people. I 
900, there are 1,000 here, or 300 here, 75 there. I get to do that, and I'm really proud of myself for what, and that's a scary place to be, for speaking to our own people and encouraging them. But am I reaching out and challenging people to take a next step of faith? And it may be Christians, but a lot of times it's those who are afraid of Christianity or they see it as a checkbox another checkbox religion that we've got to do this checkbox and that one and here's the list and we, we've got to show them that faith in Jesus Christ is so much more dynamic than that. Could you give me a, an example or a taste of some of the issues that you have already addressed on the blog? Well one of the things that uh, has captured a lot of people's attention is Jennifer actually, my wife, she has captured a couple things. The post, and I, I hope I could remember the title, when life sucks, Jesus carries us. Okay. And and she reached, uh, she had ovarian cancer and she was going through chemo. Oh, wow. And she, she reached a point where she couldn't even pray. And she just, she had nothing. And it was other people who came alongside her, family members and others, who basically had to carry her through. And, and it was, she realized that the Lord was okay with the fact she didn't have to beat herself up by the fact that she had nothing left, nothing to give except just try to exist for another day. And obviously, she's a survivor and had a partial hysterectomy and two children since. So <laughs> amazing miracle story. But, it, but we were in Anaheim at a conference last week, she, and somebody just happened to wander by our table at breakfast. And we said, hey, come sit with us. And somebody from Louisiana who I had met years ago, and all of a sudden they realized they had this particular connection. Both of them had been in this place. And this person that we were talking to felt like felt terrible that she had been in a place where she could not even pray. And Jennifer said, I've been there. That's the kind of thing that we want to do is identify with different places people have been and say, you know what? The Lord was still there. We're with you. And now you can take this and, and learn from it and grow from it. And, and this person was encouraged that they're okay. They're okay, even though they reached that point in their lives. And I, I think people need encouragement. We beat ourselves up constantly. And we want to take someone beyond that. And in the process, say faith doesn't have to be complicated. It can be very simple. So that was, that's just one post that I thought it was funny that we saw that connection almost immediately. So I'll, I'll be sure to put a link to that post in the show notes for this episode so people can click over on that. And, of course, I've met Jennifer before. I, I didn't yes. realize, I don't think I knew about the cancer. Yeah. Um, but, wow, what a, what a testimony there. And I, I know. I saw I was in St. Louis speaking to a group, and a doctor comes up to me after I told a little bit of that story. And he said, you realize, Kirk, those babies are a miracle. And I said, and I, and I almost shrugged it off, Sean. I, I kind of said, well, yeah, yeah, I get that, nodding my head. And he grabbed my shoulders and looked me in the eye, and he said, no, you need to understand. Those children are a miracle. Oh, wow. And uh, I said, okay, I'm getting it now. It's <laughs> starting to sink I'm a, in. Yeah, I'm a little slow on the uptake, but I got it when he grabbed me. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes and I, and I it needed takes. it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your team there. I saw that you have the Lamberts. So you have yes. the Lamberts. Who are the Lamberts? The Lamberts are actually, like I said, we're still our team is still family now, and it's going to grow down the road. But uh, Laura is my daughter, and she married Matt, and uh, so he's a Lambert, and that's that's who they are. And they, I tell you what, they have captured 
the excitement that was deep down in me that needed to come out. And uh, Laura's very good on social media, and she's beginning to get get our our stuff out there on social media. We're beginning to connect with some new people, and and uh, she's also got she's just amazing what God has done in her life, and and in Matt too, who he's an engineer. I mean that's what he does, and I don't know what engineers do, but it's complicated stuff. But he has an amazing faith, and he believes he's just naive enough to believe that God can do anything. And uh, I love that. And once you've been walking with the Lord for 30 some odd years or whatever it is with me, 17 to 55, whatever that is, 38, you you can get to that point where you've kind of got it figured out or you think you've got it figured out. And seeing a Matt and Laura come along with fresh eyes has meant so much to us. And Lexi is going to be going on that page too. But Right now, four names are on the page. Lexi will probably pop up, and there will be others in, in days and months to come uh, as we invite writers in. Well, I think it's such—I know you, you mentioned, oh, it's just family, but it, it's such a, uh, a wide spectrum of backgrounds. I mean, you, you yourself, like we talked about previously, are very active in the pro-life movement and, and have been working in that field full-time for— a, a long time. Then your your wife here, she has a totally different world, really. I mean, she, yes. what she says is she's home. She's a homeschooler, and she's focused on children, and she spent ten thousand hours, um, yes, <laughs> working with children and speaking. Yes. And, and so that's really her wheelhouse. And then you've got Laura here, who has a totally different point of view. And then uh, the engineer Matt. So it's yeah. like there, there is, and then Lexi, what's what's her field again? Education. Yes, yeah, she's getting a degree in elementary education uh, and right. going into counseling. And, yeah. Oh no, she's she's going for counseling now, right? Yeah, she's getting her master's in counseling uh, down at Auburn. So, uh, so she graduates Vanderbilt in a few weeks and then headed to Auburn for her master's. And yeah, and she brings a depth of experience in a lot of areas. It's funny because she's young. These folks, you know, I, I'm the old guy who's just trying to hang on for dear life. But uh, Jennifer's a go-getter, and these other these other three, Matt, Laura, and Lexi, are all go-getters. And uh, they, they just bring fresh perspectives to the scene, and, and we really believe that we can have a faith revolution in this country and around the world. In fact, we've got now followers from South Africa, uh, from uh, Uganda, and it's just kind of interesting to see things pop up and... Uh, the opportunities that seem to be coming our way. We, we just met with, uh, it's funny, a week ago, we were sitting down and Jim is going to have something on this soon. We were having dinner with Carrie Caviezel at a conference. Carrie was going to speak and I'm the MC, so I'm sitting next to the speaker mm-hmm. and Carrie is speaking. Her husband, Jim Caviezel, was on Person of Interest for many years. He, and we know him because he played Jesus in The Passion. Right. Yeah. And so I, I go, you know, Jennifer, we met Jesus's wife. I didn't know he had one. <laughs> but they've got three adopted oh, children and, and just amazing people who Carrie just said, God told me to reach out to those he sends to me. And he sent us a child from, uh, was it China? I can't remember uh, where it was. It might have been Philippines. But anyway, they adopted three children from Asia. And we met her son, Bo, and and, and here he is graduating high school. And and just, just mom stories, but stories of faith as well. So it's right. going to be good to get, get her perspective uh, pretty soon on first faith as well. 
That's phenomenal because on the one side, somebody could criticize this this team and say, oh, well, where are all the theologians and all the professors and all that? But on the other side, if you look at the first century faith, these guys didn't go to seminary. I mean, they did with Jesus, and but how did Jesus do that? He did it by living with them, by you know, looking at everyday things like, hey, look at the lilies of the field. Even Solomon wasn't clothed like them. And uh, using the, the surroundings to, to bring practical lessons on how to, how to live out Christianity, how to live out a relationship with God that was exciting and centered on love and, you know, concerned about truth as well, but uh, not Absolutely. at all um, uh, unbalanced in, in, either, in, in either realm. And so, I, I love that, you know, Laura's the social media expert. You've got Lexi with the, the counseling, your, your wife with kids, the engineer, the pro-life guy, the visionary, you know, and, and together what you're able to do is give an in-the-trenches perspective on how Christianity actually affects real life. You nailed it. And we need all, we, we found a particular niche, and it's not a better niche than someone else. It's just a different niche. Yes, with the people we were reaching out, to, one person has checked in with us, and we're probably going to have them over uh, soon who's dealing with addiction issues, but, but this person has a friend who is a prostitute, and she said, I, I've gotten you connected with that person, and I thought, guess what? We know they're coming over to our house in time. There's going to be that time in the next few weeks when they're all coming over, dealing with just tough life issues, and we want to give them encouragement and support. But at the same time, we do need the theologians. We, you know, the Apostle Paul was out there who was trained under the best and knew everything about Jewish law and could debate those things as he presented a first century faith. So we need all types to reach out. And Jesus had to deal with the the smart folks who who knew everything. And he did so well, and he kept them on their heels. So we need all types. We found a particular niche with the run-of-the-mill person, whether it's your local Baptist, Methodist, the Methodarian Church of the St. Mary, whatever it happens <laughs> to be, who says, I just want more. Where can I find it? And we raise our hand quietly and say, we're here if you need us. Right. Come join us. One last question. What, sure. Talk to me about the shop. You've got the uh, shop. hats and, and sweat, yeah. sweatshirts. And what's, what's the deal with this? We're working on some things. And in fact, I, I, the shop is there, but we're going, to be, we're going to be shifting it in the next month. So you get a preview here. We're going to be shifting it to, instead of a shop, uh, and you can get something that says First Faith. It just kind of promotes the website and that sort of thing. But what we're going to do next we started with a shop, began thinking about it, and now we're going to do something called conversation starters. It's a shop, but at the same time, uh, it will be things that your average, most people are afraid of evangelism. It scares them to death to talk about Jesus. Was, how do I start the conversation? So we want to have different things that are conversation starters that lead people to say, hey, you can check out more of what I'm thinking on, on this webpage or, and we want to have on our blog in the future, hopefully the near future, different ways to begin conversations about faith with friends. It's still not easy, I know, for a lot of people. It's, oh, I'm afraid to talk about it. But we want, it, we want to segue into those conversations more naturally. And so we've got everything from, neck. we'll have necklaces and, and different things. One, we've got a necklace called, it just says Celebrate Life and Chase Faith. 
And it's funny because we were at this conference a week ago and people were just snapping them up, wanted them. And so we were giving them away and their conversation started. So the shop is going to shift in the days to come. Uh, we're excited about that. It's going to be conversation starters. Yeah, yeah. Because we found we found a greater purpose than what we started with. Yeah, I mean that's so important to the walk of faith is sharing that faith with others, and we are so beaten down by our secular age with a sense of insecurity, of fear, of inadequacy to be able to enter into the marketplace of ideas in conversation with somebody from from a different perspective and be able to share of our faith authentically and without getting censured for it and rebuked for this, that, or the other controversial issue that is in our society today. So, I mean, this is really yes. important. In my experience, 90% of evangelism, maybe, of course, most statistics are made up on the spot, so this is one of those, but uh, <laughs> a very high percentage Well, Sean, folks- let me stop you there. Let me stop Put it on the internet, and it will be totally true. So there just we go. think about it. There that. we go. So go ahead. a very high percentage of folks, if you can just get that conversation started on a spiritual track, they're going to be fine. It's just getting it started that is the hardest part. I think you're exactly right. And, and it's interesting because we're introducing people to Jesus. And as we do so, that introduction is probably a Jesus who is a lot more closer to us than people think he is. And so as we do this, we're, we're excited because I've found out once we started First Faith, conversations about Jesus' identity as the Son of God is strikingly easy when it didn't used to be. Hey, can we agree on these issues? Can we G- agree that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's Master, that he's Savior, he's Lord? Okay, if we can agree there, then let's have a great conversation about who he is and what he means to you. It's, it's, it's been exciting to see that take place. Very good. Anything else you'd like to share about First Faith? Well, I'm good. If people want to visit the site and check in with us, just drop us a line. We we love connecting with people. That's what we enjoy doing. And so the emails that come in are a lot of fun. It's 1stfaith.com. And uh, uh, we're we're here and we'd love to hear from you. And someone out there may have a story they want to share that we want to put on the site because those days are coming very quickly when we're going to begin to expand this. Excellent. So I'm glad I was on the air with you today. Yep. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Sean. Talk to you soon, my friend. Well, that's it for this interview. Check out Walden's website at 1stfaith.com. He's also on social media, and you can get all that info there. Check out the article, When Life Sucks, Jesus Carries Us by Jennifer Walden, and also her article, Buried Desires, I really enjoyed. She Honestly, she reminded me so much of the women I read about in the Bible who struggle with infertility, and then God opened her womb. So it's very encouraging and awesome to see God doing the same sorts of things in our own time that he did way back then. As far as comments go, I've got a couple that I wanted to read out. The first one comes from Thomas Kreutz Jr., who wrote about Podcast 136, That's where I played out N.T. Wright's lecture, Whatever Did St. Paul Do With the Kingdom of God? He writes, Listening to this podcast was an absolute joy. N.T. Wright taught what many are afraid to touch on in the Christian realm. Thank you, Sean, for uploading this, for all to hear. Your work is a blessing to many. 
Uh, check that out if you haven't already. N.T. Wright is such a great historian of Jesus and Paul, and his work on this particular lecture is really worth checking out if you haven't already. Secondly, Kim Magnuson wrote in on the episode from last week, Interview 38, Advocating for the Unborn, with Kirk Walden as well. And he writes, Aloha. Actually, I thought it was a she until I read this comment, because typically Kim is a girl's name here in the States, but um, maybe this Kim is from a different background. Anyhow, he writes, Aloha. I enjoyed your presentation and enthusiasm, Kirk, and may God bless your work. I come from a bit different perspective, as I am male, married, and having had three children, am now elderly. I can't speak from a woman's perspective. I also revert back a little more to associating breath with life, as did scripture in so many places. So I am not one that really believes that fertilization equates with a soul-enhanced human. Some scriptures showing breath and life can be seen in Genesis 1.30, 2.7, and so on. He lists out a whole bunch, amongst others. I am not quite ready to assume that a freshly fertilized egg has breath. That being said, I find abortion to be a terrible means of birth control. Jesus told us what to do with our enemies and what to do with those who hate us, but he was quite silent on abortion. And seeing that it was widely practiced in Rome and even Israel through the use of herbs or abortifacients, it just seems to me that the issue either didn't have much importance to Jesus or his way of defining it as an issue has skirted me in New Testament reading. Just as a question, I wonder what you think of natural abortion. Is this just God's desire? After all, stats tend to support that 10 to 20 percent of all known pregnancies end in natural abortion or miscarriage, that doesn't count figures as high as 30 to 50% of fertilized zygotes where the woman doesn't even know she is pregnant, but there is a natural aborting process within the body. Does God not want that life if it is considered life? Again, I am not pro-abortion, but just pointing out some facts regarding it. I am not a big fan of government regulation as governments are fallible, Do you think we should ban marriage of couples with different blood groups? Because in those cases, natural abortion is drastically increased, and certainly preventing such marriages would reduce abortion rates. One scripture that I find interesting and would like your input on is Numbers 5, 11 to 31. It looks to me in reading that God permitted a man who thought his wife to be unfaithful to take her to the high priest where she would be given bitter water an abortifacient, and the priest would say something over her. If she had been faithful, nothing would happen, but if she had been unfaithful and was pregnant, a curse was put on her by the priest after she drank the bitter water and she would abort. Again, I want to thank you for what you do in trying to help those in unwanted pregnancy to deal with their issue and show them the options. It just seems to me that if we are fearfully and wonderfully made, as the author of Psalm 139 states, and life as a, as a full human begins at conception, why are there so many natural abortions? Sir, if I seem a little odd on this issue, but it is what it is, and God bless. All right, Kim, so on your first issue, some folks I've talked to on this issue have brought up uh, how Adam came to be alive in Genesis 2-7, that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being or a living soul. 
And I don't think this is a very good place to establish the beginning point of life as being when a baby takes his first breath, just because Adam is not a normal human being. He does not have a normal human origin story. He's created from the ground, and it's it's a very different process than what we see. Now, from a more scientific perspective, we can say that the child does have breath in the sense of oxygen, certainly, passed to him or her through the umbilical cord and through the blood vessels. So I, I don't know if that helps at all with what you're, what you're saying here. I would be interested in what Walden has to say about this. Uh, so maybe he can, he can reply to this if he has the time. I don't know of any evidence whatsoever that in Jesus' own time, abortion occurred in Israel. Maybe it's out there, and I just haven't come across it yet. If somebody has any kind of primary sources that indicate that this was a practice among the Jews, I would be very interested in it. But what I see instead is uh, total silence on this subject in both Old and New Testaments, with two possible exceptions, uh, one of which you mentioned in a minute here. And both of them, that's not really the focus of what they're talking about However, I, what I do see, and the New Testament is entirely silent, as, as you already mentioned, uh, but what I do see is that very shortly after Christianity spreads into the Greco-Roman world, we do see a lot of very strong Christian st- statements about abortion. I mentioned these in the episode by a number of different people, right from the end of the first century into the second and the third century, and essentially up to our own day, we have really a unanimous denunciation, a legacy of denouncing the practice of either killing a baby while it's in the womb or right after the child exits the womb, uh, which today we distinguish between abortion and infanticide. Uh, But both of these were very common in these pagan cultures outside of Israel. If you haven't already, check out Offscript episode 34, Killing the Unborn, A Christian View of Abortion, as well as Offscript episode 46, where we answer some questions on the subject, Should Christians Outlaw Abortion? So take a look at those two, where we do address a number of these early Christian quotes that condemn abortion unambiguously. As far as your point, what you call a natural abortion, this is... Certainly the case is it's somewhat undisputed that miscarriages occur and that they're very sad and that this is, from a Christian worldview perspective, part of the fall. Other people die, too, at different ages. I mean, there are, there are some infants that die. There's some children that die. There are some middle-aged people that die. So th- that doesn't obviously justify that, oh, it's because people are dying naturally at these different ages, then it's okay to kill them. I mean, it does, just doesn't follow that because miscarriages sadly occur, that then it justifies snuffing out someone's life who is not miscarrying. So I don't see how that logic follows. I mean, it, you are correct, factually correct, and it is true that miscarriages occur and that it is something that um, is, is quote-unquote natural in the sense that it's not, it's, it's not caused by any sort of modern medicine. But uh, on your last point about Numbers 5, first of all, it's not clear to me that this woman's pregnant. 
It's also not clear to me that this is talking about abortion. It says her thigh will waste away. Uh, I'd have to study it a little deeper to really come to a, a strong position on that. But I don't think that we can use this text to justify humans aborting other humans. In other words, uh, and sorry for everyone who is not already intimately familiar with the jealousy law in Numbers 5, but just a little background ever so quickly here. Uh, a guy gets gets it in his head that his wife is cheating on him, and so he's jealous, and he is supposed to bring her to the priest who had, he who writes out a curse in ink and then washes that ink into some sort of drinking vessel and puts a little dust from the floor of the sacred space into the cup and makes her drink it and essentially calls down a curse upon her that if she has cheated on him, then the water will cause her bowels and her womb to swell and her thigh fall away. And if nothing happens when she drinks this water with the ink and the dust in it, then she is considered to be innocent. Then it says in verse 28, then she shall be free and shall conceive children. So that indicates to me that she's not pregnant because then she can go and conceive. You can't conceive if you're already pregnant. And then essentially the rule is that since God has vindicated her and the priest was there as a witness and nothing happened, that this woman is now cleared of any guilt associated with the accusation of her husband, and now he's not allowed to bring it up anymore, essentially. So it, I've got so much to say about I've, I actually really love this passage. I know it sounds totally weird, but it, it's it's like one of the most powerful um, uh, ways of dealing with patriarchal abuse that we find in ancient law codes. Uh, because it really, it really does. Basically, unless God does a miracle, because let's face it, ink and dust in a little water is not going to kill you, or if um, Kim's right here, cause a miscarriage or anything like that, it's just not. So, unless God performs a miracle, then this accused woman is going to be innocent and then have the sort of authority of God and, and God's priest over against her husband so that he's not allowed to treat her like a second-class citizen or in any way punish her, because, in fact, she's not guilty. So anyhow, thanks for writing in, Kim. Uh, hopefully, Kirk can respond to some of this. Uh, I'll let him know that this, this comment came in so that he can take a look at it. And uh, if you haven't yet listened to it, check out the last interview, Interview 38, Advocating for the Unborn with Kirk Walden, and see what he says there. That's it for today. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.